Hey everybody, this is Alf speaking. Welcome back on the Blockworks Macro YouTube channel. Today's guest of the show is Mr. Blonde Macro, who's a seasoned um, professional in the industry, who now is writing one of the most interesting and successful macro equity-based newsletters out there called Stuck in the Middle. You should absolutely check out if you haven't already. Hey, Mr. Blonde, how are you doing? I'm good, Alf. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, it's uh, my pleasure uh, to host you on the show. Um, actually, I want to talk about the view that you had on the equity market back at the end of September when you talked about the distinct possibility of an equity market rally, which actually materialized all the way until today. But, you know, the past is the past. Very good call, uh, Mr. Blonde. But I want to get your head about uh, what's going on in the equity market today. How do you see the risks of upside and downside ahead for the next three to six months? Yeah, thanks, Alf. I, I, look, at the time, the the call was you know really predicated upon you know what I said was you know is that we had the preconditions for a bear market rally. The preconditions being we had a, you know pretty material oversold conditions, um, sentiment you know, obviously got pretty bearish, and people were concerned about a number of things. Some of the things that have been in place all year, but you know they go into waves, um, and then you know um, and we had you know positioning had come off. Uh, and all the rest. And, you know, you never really know what specifically will trigger uh, the narrative or, you know, what the narrative will be subsequent to a, a price move. And, and obviously this bear market rally, it started out of the gates pretty, pretty hot, you know, in the first couple of days of October and then came off, but, you know, kind of never really made um, substantial new lows. Uh, but, you know, but the behavior, you know, throughout the, the month of October, I think kind of highlighted that, um, you know, you know, downside, um, you know, you know, it was, you kind of, we kind of felt like we had downside support from that, you know, kind of late September level. Uh, look, I mean, I, you know, my view from early October, you know, around the time was that, you know, maybe we could get to 4,000 on S&P. So, you know, at 3,900, I, I kind of feel like, you know, the, the bulk of the move is, you know, roughly happened. Um, I, I, I do feel like things are a bit more balanced here. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of directional view. And I feel like the market now is kind of left. Um, waiting for something new, uh, you know, either new on the on the positive side or new on the negative side, um, to be the to be the swing factor. So not to you know kind of give you a you know a half-assed answer, but it, you know sort of feel a little bit more neutral um, about market direction here. I mean, it certainly could see the case where we still kind of get to that you know kind of roughly four thousand level, you know, or you know, and 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 the and the other at the technical aspects that, that are associated with that level on S and P. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I think over the course, and we'll talk about earnings season. I mean, I think over the course of the last couple of months, I mean, I think we've we've seen that sort of um, beneath the surface, fundamentals are deteriorating. So that represents, um, you know, I think a pretty important drag uh, on markets. And and certainly, as time passes, it sort of, you know, I think probably limits um, in a pretty significant way uh, the scope to, you know, for that for that rally to to continue. So a little bit more balanced, awaiting new information. So of this new information, Mr. Blonde, I would say there are three main things to have a look at. There is an event ahead of us, which is the midterm elections in the US. There is earnings, which are obviously the earnings season is well advanced today, but let's say earnings going forward as well. And mm -hmm. then there is a bit of seasonality at play that I want to discuss with you as well, as you come from an institutional background like I do, yeah. maybe we can shed some light into that November, December seasonality. Let's start from midterms, if you don't mind. So do you have a particular view there, something you are specifically looking at? No. So look, I'll say up front, I'm not a political strategist and, and politics in general don't carry a big weight 
in, you know, in my framework. Um, not that politics are not important. I just think that politics tend to be important over a much longer time frame uh, than I generally, um, uh, you know, react to. I, I, obviously, that's that's not always true. I mean, if if politicians are making tangible policy changes, then you know, tax you know changes or, or whatnot that can be important. Um, and you know, generally speaking, I think presidential elections are far more important than midterm elections. Um, obviously, midterm elections can kind of be an indication of the direction that things are headed, um, and or it could be. Um, you know, kind of, quote unquote, a vote of confidence or lack of confidence in the current administration. Uh, and I think that that's probably the main message that we're going to get from U.S. elections um, today. Um, you know, but I, I but I also think that over the last, you know, kind of month and a half, I mean, I think the markets, you know, kind of sees the writing on the wall. You know, Republicans are going to take the House uh, and there's a really good chance that they're going to take, um, you know, a, a, a bunch of seats in the Senate. Um, yeah. and we can debate whether they get into a majority position or get close to a majority position. Um, but I, I feel like that's all kind of reasonably well known and understood at this point. I mean, confirmation can be worth something, but I don't think that it's going to, I don't think, I don't expect any big surprises on that, on that front. Uh, and then more important as it pertains to markets, I just don't see anything tangible coming out of this um, election outcome. Tangible meaning like there, there will be no policy agenda that's like really different than what we have today. Uh, and so I, I, I think it's a little bit of a, a non-event. I mean, it will certainly, there'll be headlines and there'll be a lot of um, political, you know, people who make a lot of noise about it because this is the only thing that they focus on. Uh, but I think it's, it's, um, I don't think it's, it's not a, it's not a main market event in my opinion. I, I, I mean, I can give you, you know, I think the negative scenario would be if, if Republicans ended up not doing well uh, in, in the elections, I think that would be taken negatively because, um, you sort of end up with, you know, more of the same. And on, on the positive side, you know, I think if you wanted to create a, a bull case, you would say this is a bit of a referendum on, um, you know, current, you know, you know, the current sort of political agenda. And, and when I say referendum, I, I mean, you know, on the idea of, you know, fiscal, you know, spending, uh, and, you know, big budget, you know, deficits, you know, so to speak, um, right or wrong, whether, you know, this is, you know, I, I know there's obviously a lot of people out there who, who view both parties as, as doing that. And I, there's some truth to that. Um, but more recently, um, I think, you know, the, obviously because of fixed income and Fed tightening and inflation, these other issues, um, to the extent that the policy or political landscape changes and it kind of cuts off the ability for fiscal spending to be part of the narrative, or be part of the storyline. I think you could make the case that that's "quote unquote" bullish or constructive for duration, uh, in a way that you remove that tail, yeah. uh, and then you know it kind of becomes a little bit more just about the Fed and inflation, uh, and you don't have the risk of you know some other policy decision coming along to um, upset things. And you know the reason I think that's kind of interesting is we just saw what happened in the UK. So now you would have sort of another example of this in DM. And I think that that would kind of set the stage for like, okay, we actually are kind of shifting back towards quote unquote austerity. Now, maybe that ends up not being the case five years from now, but at least for the next two years, that would seem to be, you know, the, their narrative and storyline. And so it kind of simplifies markets a little bit. Yeah. And that fiscal implication, I think, is one of the most important ones for macro in general, because effectively, if we get to a tighter fiscal stance, you'll be withdrawing resources from the private sector. You'll be taking a basically further hit on growth and earnings going ahead from a, on a marginal perspective. But also at the same time, you would lend a hand 
to bonds and duration because the issuance will be coming down and uh, the, the effort that the private sector will need to do to absorb net issuance will be lower. So there will be different uh, forces at play if that fiscal stance becomes tighter. But again, it depends from um, the distribution of, of seats. In general, I feel from what you say that you don't have a major view, neither you think that the impact will be massive from midterm. So that makes me move to the second point, which is I would like to go a little bit into your um, very deep analysis of the earning season. I know you do a very good work on looking at sectors and the trending stuff. So tell us what's the big picture message from the earning season so far. Yeah, look, I mean, I think the big picture message is actually somewhat similar to what happened in the second quarter. So now we have kind of two quarters in a row of this, which is um, expectations and numbers for the quarter have come came down meaningfully in the four to six weeks prior to the quarter. In aggregate, companies beat these lowered numbers, but they beat by a much smaller amount than they typically do. Um, and then on the back end of reporting, the, the numbers for the subsequent quarter are coming down. And, you know, in corporate guidance uh, and, you know, sort of analyst read of, of you know, uh, momentum is that um, the next quarter uh, won't be as good as they thought it, you know, will be. And obviously as well as the out year. So I would call this a, a smaller, low quality beat and cut. Right. And, and, you know, it's just, I think it just highlights that we're very clearly in the negative, um, you know, negative revision cycle, negative, you know, kind of momentum cycle for earnings. I mean, we're still marginally growing versus a year ago. Uh, but it's a much narrower margin. And when you exclude some sectors like energy, we kind of, yeah. you know, it goes into negative territory. But more importantly, the, in my opinion, more importantly, the numbers for the subsequent quarter and for the subsequent year are coming down in a pretty material way. Um, you know, all of which is necessary, but it also, you know, kind of, it, it's, it's reestablishing your, you know, kind of fundamental foundation when you think about, you know, what, um, determines market, you know, fair value. Um, I mean, for some context, I mean, if I, if you look at 2022 uh, EPS, so for the current year, yeah. I think one of the things that, that kind of struck me recently is that, you know, only a couple months ago, and this is already included, you know, half the year already being, um, accounted for. We had, you know, uh, 2022 EPS for the year was, was set to be around $222. Mm-hmm. Well, after a sort of third quarter reporting season, it now is more like, 217 and a half or like $218. That's yeah. pretty material change, you know, kind of late in the year. And obviously, um, so that's such 2022. Now on top of it, 2023 numbers have also come down in a pretty material way from, you know, earlier this year and are now at, you know, let's call it like $230. Um, but it's, you know, I've, we talked about it before. I mean, this leaves equity markets feeling like a negative carry asset. I mean, you're, yeah. you know, EPS number keeps coming down. Uh, and, you know, unless you can make the case for material multiple expansion, which I think is incredibly difficult to do in a time when the Fed is still actively tightening, um, then, you know, you just you're facing pretty stiff tail, uh, headwind um, for price appreciation. Yeah, which makes me think of um, the stages of bear markets. So in 2022, yeah. we had a bear market uh, lag that was mostly driven, let's say 80, 90% explained by large multiple compressions. Um, now we're getting slowly into a phase where we move from that part of the bear market explanation to a 
basically earnings being revised down. And that reminds me a little bit of 2001, Mr. Blonde, when earnings started dropping pretty materially. And in 2000, you got the leg of the bear, of the bear market, which wiped out the excess risk-taking and companies trading at 50 times sales of the dot-com bubble. But then in 2001, we saw earnings dropping. So I don't know whether you see similar parallels with that period. And if you do, in general, the question is, how does a second leg of a bear market that is based rather on earnings downgrade than on multiple compression look like? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I haven't I haven't studied 2001 in detail, but I but what you're describing makes a lot of sense because the initial part, you know, the the initial part of 2000 was really just about valuation compression, yeah. you know, Fed hiking. Uh, and, you know, obviously it took place over a longer period in that cycle. I mean, it could it could take place over a similar similar time frame this cycle, although I, I do feel that this cycle is happening much faster and in a more compressed uh you know period of time. Uh meaning like you know, sort of the COVID recovery, you know, stimulus you know was much faster and, and more robust. And and obviously I think um some of the things that we've experienced over the last geez, it's only been sort of eleven months have been, you know, compressed as well. Um I think to answer your question explicitly is that earnings driven bear markets are just a little bit slower. So they don't operate with the same speed. I think they end up, you know, kind of being uh, a little bit more episodic, like we've seen recently, which is, you know, during a period where numbers are coming down, uh, stock prices are coming down with it. That negativity is is picking up, and then and then at some point, um, you know, you, you sort of hit pause on that, or like that part of the story or the narrative, you know, kind of is is less important. And it gives the markets sort of an, an opportunity to kind of catch its breath a little bit, results in a little bit of a bear market rally. We focus on something else or some other storyline or some other narrative where we say like, oh, well, the Fed's going to pivot, you know, or, or whatever the, whatever the um, flavor of the day is. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the market gets, you know, kind of rallies a little bit, but it, it you'll find that it, it, it has a hard time making uh, higher highs. You, you right and 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 or you you find out that you're running into sort of valuation issues sooner because obviously your your EPS or your fundamentals are you continue to deteriorate. So I think of earnings bear markets as sort of you know, being a little bit more about the trend, and then obviously you're trying to overlay um, you know kind of sentiment and so, and some of these other kind of you know much shorter term you know kind of trading signals uh, you know to to oscillate around that trend. But the trend you know ends up being you know kind of a little bit of a a strong, you know, persistent force uh, in the market. So if we are looking at something that is slower trending down as your base case, but with wild swings around it, which can be periodic drops idiosyncratically related to a certain earnings miss perhaps or around earnings season, but then vicious bear market rallies that are driven by a change of focus, which is temporarily on something else. My question is, if you look into 2023, which is probably the question most investors are asking themselves, uh, we all think in, we should think in probabilistic terms, right? So it's not a, a one-off question, black or white, but what's your base case for um, earnings per share and valuations in the SMB, which ultimately lead to your base case target? Let's say six months ahead, 12 is way too long as time frame in macro, yep. but at least for the next six months. Right. So, okay. So I have a, an earnings model that I've used and I've, I, I, you know, something, you know, presented, um, at the start of this year, which basically said that this year we would have, um, growth deceleration probably would end the year being sort of small positive, um, uh, but, but down substantially in a second derivative context. Yeah. Next year is a negative growth year. 
Uh, and the, the model, you know, indicates something, you know, on the magnitude of, you know, earnings being down 15 to 17 percent from year ago levels um, as of the third quarter of next year. Um, I, I don't see anything in the last two couple quarters of reporting season to suggest that that forecast is not on track. If anything, I think the forecast, it would suggest that we're sort of we're actually slightly ahead of that forecast, meaning like some of the deterioration is happening sooner. So maybe that means that the negative growth in 2023 isn't quite as deep as it would have been otherwise when you think about the the model, you know, um, details because some of it happened in 2022. But on the on the whole, it looks like we're on track for an EPS figure that could be as low as sort of 185 uh, in 2023 at some point versus, like I said, the, the current uh, you know, 2018 trailing, you know, 12 month EPS number. Now to put that in context, and I did some work on this, you know, around like looking at EPS drawdowns around recessions, you know, that's a, you know, it's a roughly 15% drawdown from, you know, peak EPS. So it, that's not really that out of, I mean, it's, it's very much in line with what would happen in a quote unquote normal recession. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be like a severe 2008 style recession to kind of create that kind of drawdown. So that's, that sort of checks one box. Like I said, the earnings model that I have was, is already forecasting that. And it's not a model that explicitly forecasts recessions. It's, you know, focus on the profit cycle. Obviously they tend to be uh, related. Um, so that seems like a reasonable, um, you know, let's call that the mild bear case. Uh, but, but I have been using a number that's more like $200, um, in 2023, somewhat conservative. Um, but I think even at $200, you know, you're trading it, um, you know, 19 times, you know, PE multiple in an environment of negative EPS revisions and a Fed that's like unsure whether they're going to hike 50 or 75 next meeting. Right. So it's just not, it's just seems like a pretty rich multiple to pay, uh, for a market where we're still in the midst of, um, decelerating growth, Fed hiking rates, and the recession question is, um, you know, is, is still very much in front of us. Yeah. And that's a very, very similar approach to my, uh, macro models, Mr. Blonde, where my base case 2023 EPS will be 195 to $100. So we're roughly on the same page, looking at indicators, which are sometimes similar, sometimes a bit different, but we come, we come to the similar conclusion. So effectively, you're looking at a negative carry when it comes to earnings per share against analyst expectations. So you're sitting on something that on a fundamental cash flow basis will deteriorate. So unless multiples expand very fast compared to what the forwards are implying today, you are looking on something that will probably lose you money from a long position. Now, when it comes to multiples, I had a little bit of a look at the first quarter, second quarter of, 2020, of 2001, when the Fed did pivot. They cut 150 basis points in three months between uh, December 2000 and March 2001 because the labor market was weakening and because earnings were dropping very fast and because they thought they had done enough damage, basically. And inflation was also slowly but surely on a momentum basic, uh, basis uh, coming down. The Fed you know, cut 150 basis points back then, but equities dropped another 12% in the first three months of the year. So that multiple expansion solely coming from bonds rallying, if you want to put it like that, mechanically speaking, is not that automatic in an environment where risk sentiment is low and earnings are deteriorating, right? It's not that simple as to say that a Fed pivot will be bullish for valuations. No, I totally agree. Listen, I also, I mean, I think, quote unquote, pivot is, you know, in my, when I think about pivot, I think of a change in direction. 
uh, right? At, you know, so a pivot is not going from 75 basis points to 50 basis point hikes. That's well, we should call that something different. Um, I, I know that there's, you know, obviously people have a lot of different ways of expressing, you know, that narrative. Uh, and I, I think we're in an environment, and as is typical in a Fed rate hike cycle, is they, they usually um, they don't stop until they run into something. And so, and, you know, and unfortunately when they run into something, I mean, we hope that it's a small something and not a big something, uh, but when you run into something that usually, um, you know, causes some, you know, some damage. Uh, and so I, I think that that's kind of what you're, what you're referring to. And I would say that that's, uh, you're very consistent with my own view and perspective. And I think it, it could be earnings related, uh, you know, that spills over into the real economy. And that obviously if companies are making less money, um, or in some cases losing money versus a year ago or two years ago, they're going to retrench. They're going to spend less. They're going to hire Correct. less. Uh, so it's, you know, profits are the lifeblood of, of, of economic activity. And if it's, if there's less of them, um, or they're in decline, then it's a, it's a form of retrenchment and that will spill, spill over to the real economy for sure. That's true. And, um, now we're talking about an, let's say an earnings driven lag of a bear market that we expect to as a base case, expand into 2023. But this is rather a medium-term macro projection, let's say, or a base case we're depicting for maybe six months ahead. Right. But what about between now and Christmas? Because as you already described, Mr. Blond, yeah. there are more technical-driven uh, bear market rallies that we might face in the meantime uh, while we look at this long-term trend. So can you talk to us a little bit about whether this rally could extend to, to 4,000 maybe by Christmas and why actually we're having this technical rally in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think we certainly, we could, I mean, I, you know, from here at 38, 40, you know, 4,000, you know, not that far away where it's, um, you know, a few, you know, a few percent. So I, I certainly think that that's possible. Um, I guess, um, you know, the, one, you know, one of the metrics that I like to use when I think about, you know, um, S and P price levels is, you know, I, I try to rely a little bit more on the PE multiple, which I view as being the the real price of of the index. Um, you know, that's the, the the valuation profile determines you know kind of how far you can how far you can go. And one of the things that I found useful to use over time is uh, the two year trailing or the two year rolling average of PE multiple. Uh, and when you look at it in periods when the Fed is hiking, it's generally pretty hard for the valuation multiple to get to to be above its two year average. Yeah. Right, because you still have liquidity being pulled from the system. Obviously, you're trying to constantly evaluate the impact from that financial conditions tightening. It, it tells you that growth, future growth will be lower. And so that represents a bit of a ceiling. So today, you know, 17 and a half times or roughly 17 and a half times will get you to, um, to that two year average. Um, and, you know, and then, it, then you play the game of, you know, 17 and a half times on, you know, uh, on the, on the 230 number, you know, is 4025. Um, so, I mean, to me, like, that seems like that's, that's an area at that level. I, I'm, I'm probably, you know, going to be thinking a little bit more about, you know, the short case than, than chasing it from there. Um, yeah. Look, I think we could have it, you know, in or around midterms. I mean, obviously people are thinking about, you know, uh, change in, you know, political uh, environment, you know, certainly as a, you know, it was one of those reasons that we can oscillate around the trend. Uh, and now that we're kind of largely past earnings season, um, you know, you sort of lose some of those, you know, negative headlines. 
uh, and you're a little bit in, the, you know, in this kind of shoulder period as we wait for the next, uh, the next event. Um, and obviously, you know, holiday rich time of year. So, uh, people are off. Uh, one last point, if I could, which I think is also probably related and, and you, you mentioned, you know, kind of institutional behavior and psychology. I mean, one of the things that I tend to think about it in this time of year is, the willingness to take risk or risk tolerance is decelerating at an accelerating rate. The large majority of institutional participants are paid based on their calendar year P&L. Correct. And so at this time of year, the, the willingness to make a big bet or go against the trend in you know, November, um, you know, is, is significantly smaller because nobody wants to have that, you know, big mistake and not have enough time to, um, fix it or make up for it. So, I kind of think that, you know, this is, you know, probably one of the reasons like market kind of will have a tendency to kind of go with whatever the prevailing trend is. I mean, or maybe we want to think about this being a season where we're going to end up with a lot more gamma and that, you know, if the market's going up, then it maybe goes up a little bit more velocity because, you know, everybody is going to, you know, kind of cover the shorts that they have in place and try to, you know, go with the, go with the flow. Uh, and the flip side would be true as well. Um, so I, you know, and then, but there's, there's also the tendency to, you know, have more profit taking, uh, and, you know, to, you know, book PL at the tail end of the year as, as people are looking to, you know, kind of lock in and move on. And then come January 1st in the new trading year, um, you know, things can move, uh, you know, in a more dramatic fashion. Absolutely. I share this a hundred percent. Um, used to be short on the Russell 2000, my index of choice for the short until two to three weeks ago. Uh, took profits on that. And since then, actually not very interested in, in uh, chasing the rally, but actually it could extend pretty easily uh, to 4,000, which is a target I'm also looking at to potentially re-enter more medium-term oriented uh, short positions. I mean, if you think of an institutional investor, Mr. Blonde, right now, you either were taken away for a ride uh, in 2022 and stopped out of your lungs multiple times, or you were short the whole time and had a brilliant year. In any case, right now, you're looking pretty light from an institutional perspective positioning, or mm -hmm. you want to hedge your upside risks. You don't want to, you know, fuck up your bonus payment at the end of the year because there is a Santa Claus rally, which is a 15, 20% rally, and you are not participating into it or you're getting flushed out. And that is also reflected in the fact that the institutional investors seem to be willing for upside, paying to upside calls much more than they're willing to pay for downside protection which also seems to suggest that if there is something to hedge right now, it's actually a very large um, bear market rally that could, yeah. you know, rattle the bonus payment of some of the hedge fund managers out there. This also obviously leads to a bit of, of convexity and gamma on the way up, as you said, uh, it could happen. But actually, if you ask me, rather than try to chase that, I would rather use that as a good setup to think of a medium term uh, macro short back again in 2023. Yeah, I kind of think the same way. I mean, like, listen, if I had to, you know, paint the picture of you know, like what would what would represent, you know, a, a bit of a pain trade for people would be, you know, after a pretty difficult year and uh, performance among amongst sort of a, a large portion of the institutional community is has underperformed or has performed poorly. If you got a, a late year rally, um, it would it would it probably would be pretty frustrating to um, a lot of people. Uh, you know, and, and sort of make their full year performance look worse, right? Than yeah. than maybe uh, otherwise, you know, than the than the reality might be, you know, otherwise. Um, so I, I could certainly see that being the case. I guess it's you know, again, like put that in the bucket of a trading call 
or sort of sentiment, you know, driven, you know, kind of market technicals rather than something that's indicative of, of uh, fundamentals or some material change in the, the fundamental backdrop. And it's always, you know, hard to um, clearly differentiate the two uh, when, when communicating your view. But I, I think that that's, um, it's certainly a possibility. I, I think call spreads, you know, are probably one way to do that. I mean, you, you, you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the vol on the, on the upside is, you know, a bit higher than normal. So certainly would, would probably want to, um, if I was playing for that, I would, I would want to do it in a spread format and, you know, limit that a little bit. Um, but I'm not really, I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeing a case to play for it aggressively from current levels um, like it did in late September. Yeah. I mean, I think so, that's probably the other thing is like some of what happened in October, I think was contemplating some of what we're talking about now. So it's always hard to know, you know, how much of that has already been, you know, kind of digested and, and considered. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll have a better you know, idea later this week. I mean, I, look, obviously there's, we didn't, we didn't talk about it, but there's a big CPI report later this week too. I think that's one of the other things that probably looms large and limits, um, you know, what, you know, how far markets can go after midterm elections. You certainly can make the case where there's a downtick there. And then that feeds the idea of, um, you know, rates can come, you know, can, can relax or come off or rate vol can come off, um, which has, you know, recently has been an important um, contributor to equity markets relaxing. Um, the flip side is if that's another number that looks stubborn or hot, then you kind of go quickly short circuit whatever, you know, quote unquote, good news comes out of midterm elections. Um, yeah, that's indeed correct. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you both about medium term macro um, and equity outlook and short term technicals, because you've, you've been in, a, in institutional seats, buy side and sell side for long. So you can definitely navigate both time frames with a great ability. Actually, before I let you go, Mr. Blom, um, if people haven't um, heard about you yet or they want to find more about you, where can they do that? Uh, sure. Yeah, thanks. Well, so Twitter is the easiest place to, to find me and um, at Mr. Blonde underscore macro. Uh, and then there's sort of more information about there on the feed. And, you know, I've also been writing on Substack uh, under stuck in the middle. Uh, and you can find you know, sort of some deeper thoughts um, and, and analysis and data driven um, views there. And then, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you're kind enough to invite me uh, to talk every every, you know, few weeks. So um, I'll probably be back here again soon too. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure to host you again. Thanks for the chat and we'll talk soon. It's great. Thank you.